Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I find that with the recent changes in my eyes, I either have to read up close or far away, and and, uh, it's a a change from the old reading glasses. Uh, Things are reversing, I guess another mark of aging. So I'm I'm going to have to hold it closer. Letting go, retirement by degree. Retirement is a difficult time for everyone, but especially for a professional, in my case a physician, for whom my job became my identity. I think this may also be true for lawyers, teachers, professors, ministers, other professionals. From college years, I've been more or less single-mindedly focused on being a doctor. Others see me this way as well. One never ceases being a physician. Your profession profession is yourself. Perhaps this is why it has taken me so long to retire and why I have had to do it in stages or degrees. As mentioned by George, my first retirement came from my practice in Gloucester in 2005. That was easy as I was taking the opportunity to pursue a long-term, a long-standing interest in global public health. I was getting a master's degree in public health at Boston University with Sarah Richards, uh, one of my favorite professors. And um, I was hoping for a new career, still being a doctor, but in a different and expanded role. Sharon and I, Sharon and I decided to make this a clean break by moving to Boston, where I could be a full-time student selling our house in Gloucester with a fresh start as urbanites. Reverse migration from the suburbs to the city. We kept only one car. I was only a few blocks away from Boston Medical Center and the School of Public Health, making extensive use of public transportation and my bicycle. However, fun as this was, I was never really able to create a new career in global public health. To do so would have meant moving overseas, starting at the bottom, even with a powerful combination of an MD and an MPH degree. With grandchildren becoming increasingly important in our lives, with Sharon still busy in her profession as a fundraising consultant, two to five years in a foreign country was not something we were ready to do. Had I started in public health 10 or 15 years ago, 10 or 15, things may have worked out differently. Disappointing as that was, we were still enjoying the city and interested in continuing our life here. We ended up buying a condominium close to BMC in the South End with his new commitment, again with a mortgage, and no public health job. It was time for me to get back to work to make some money again. As a primary care internist, this was not difficult. In a few months, I was able to work as much as I wanted to at two wonderful community health centers and for Boston Health Care for the Homeless, all three remarkable organizations within close range of our home. This satisfied my needs to still function as a doctor. This was a new experience for me, a new start, but in new and very challenging situations. 
I learned a great deal about Latino, African American, and the homeless populations, not only in terms of their medical needs, but the ethnic and cultural milieu in which they lived. I was actually using my public health skills with these groups, as well as having time to participate in medical programs in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. I also had the opportunity to travel to East Africa uh, visiting Unitarian Universalist Service Committee partner programs. Part-time also allowed me to become more actively involved in Arlington Street Church, culminating in a very rewarding and interesting three years on, on the Prudential Committee. However, I soon found that part-time slowly inched up to becoming closer to three-quarter time, and I was soon stretching the job to nearly full-time. Learning electronic medical record systems, again becoming a primary care physician responsible for patients on a long-term basis, began to occupy more of my time and attention. I think this may often happen with part-time jobs. They occupy us almost to the extent of full-time jobs, preventing us from moving on to new stages, new challenges in our lives. Other things, including my cycling, my volunteering in public health, were going by the wayside. Sharon and I began to realize that this was happening to both of us, and about a year ago, we made the decision to make another major change in our life. We discussed our financial situation and decided to work for another six months into 2011 and then retire again, this time for real. We knew this was the only way we could move on to new experiences, including the possibility of living somewhere other than Boston, pursuing different interests, although with nothing definite in mind. I thought perhaps I could be a bicycle tour guide, join the Peace Corps, or just go visit grandchildren, ride my bike, go to the library, and generally act like a retired person. I even thought a I even bought a fishing rod at the last indulged silent auction to get ready. <laughs> Become an old man, hopefully not as portrayed by Robert Pinsky in the poem that began the service. Well, the time is now to take, decide the next steps. The problem is how to focus and listen to what I and what Sharon and I want to do. I've been hearing about mindfulness off and on from Reverend Kim on public radio, and it was mentioned by Clementine in her sermon on honest parenting a couple of weeks ago here. Mindfulness. The concept is somewhat new to me. Mindfulness means paying attention to everything happening around you. It means being more deliberate in your choices, interests, and being more open to new experiences. And it also includes being non-judgmental about what you are observing and feeling. It means being open-hearted, accepting as well. I read you the best definition I could find for mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, who works in the mind-body area at the Massachusetts Medical School and Center in Worcester. I was also attracted to studies by Dr. Ellen Langer, a PhD psychologist working at Harvard, who has been relating mindfulness to aging for a number of years. She also came to my attention from an interview on NPR. In her book, Counterclockwise, Mindful Health and the Power of Possibility, Dr. Langer describes several experiments using nursing home patients 
with the major diagnosis of dementia. In one study, she took two groups of residents in the same nursing home. One group was encouraged to make decisions for themselves, including where to see visitors, what movies to watch, how to decorate their room, what to wear. They were also given a houseplant to take care of. The second, the control group, was treated in the same way as all other residents. One and a half years later, the first group was found to be more cheerful, more alert, and active. And strikingly, less than half as many in this group had died. Her researchers continued to follow this group for several years, during which time they showed continued benefit. Her conclusion was that making choices and given control, mindfulness, led to improved health outcomes for this group of nursing home residents. Taking care of plants reminds me of, of other stories where prison inmates were given dogs or horses to care for and train. In both instances, behavior, particularly antisocial behavior, was greatly modified when they had responsibility for caring for animals, who in, true, in turn gave them unqualified love and affection. Some of these men may never have experienced this in their lives. In a second study, Ellen Langer took two groups of nursing home residents on a retreat. They both went to the same resort, but one group was told that they were going to try to revert to an earlier period in their lives, 20 years earlier. The study was done in 1979, so the researchers did everything they could to replicate the year 1959. Room decor, music, clothing, even pictures of themselves and family were from as close as possible to 1959. They were told to behave as if they were in the present, not the past. During this time, they watched movies from this period, even watched the 1959 NFL championship. I'm sure you all remember that the Baltimore Colts defeated the New York Giants 31 to 16, talking as if this were in the present. The other group spent a week in the same surroundings, also 1959, but no effort was made to make it real. Uh, anything other, it was, or make it anything other than a pleasant retreat. Starting at the retreat and continuing thereafter, the 1959 living group demonstrated improved memory. They were more active, they gained weight, they improved strength and mobility, and were even said to look younger than before. The looking younger was done by uh, examining photographs using an outside group who were blinded as to which group was which. Health and mortality improvements were noted in this group for a number of years afterward, similar to the first study. Now there's a great deal more detail about these studies in Ellen's book. Uh, I have not read the published studies themselves and I am a little skeptical of all the benefits observed, but I am, impre I am impressed with a conclusion that mindfulness may have the potential to delay, perhaps reverse aging in this select group of nursing home patients with mild dementia. At least the possibility exists that paying more attention to our surroundings, being more observant and deliberate, may help us cope with some of the otherwise apparently inevitable changes of aging. But what is the point of all this? Is mindfulness something we can use in our everyday life, retired or not? How is it relevant? 
As a personal example, Sharon and I have a rooftop deck where we go for dining and relaxation. The deck access is four stories up an enclosed, often dark, steel staircase with a gauntlet of many stored items at each level, providing additional hazards. We have to go up and down carrying all the items we need to cook and eat on the deck. I have found that by counting the stairs as I go up and down leads me to be more deliberate and, I think, less likely to fall. It's a way of focusing my attention on the stairs, not the clutter, including extraneous issues and clutter that I might be thinking of at the time. I've not fallen yet. Therefore, I think it is finally time to let go, to retire more or less completely, and take the next step. Of course, there are money concerns, especially with the recent economic and political crisis occupying the front page of every paper and endlessly talked about on radio and TV. This is the second major financial crisis since my first retirement, greatly impacting the funds we and many others thought we had to retire. Do we have enough money to last, assuming that our health holds out? Can we afford to live in Boston, knowing that nearly everywhere else is less expensive? Or would we be better off retiring to a climate more conducive to graceful aging? We often talk about the myriad of potential choices, and slowly concepts are beginning to take shape. We aren't in a hurry, and I am confident that we will know when the time is right to make these changes. In the meantime, we are mindfully enjoying what is here and now. While I ended my work with the health centers in June, the first symbolic act of full retirement was to plan a road trip to Ohio and New York State to visit family, do some bicycle riding, see sights, including a romantic stop at Niagara Falls. The first thing that happened was that the car broke down on the mass turnpike about 100 miles from Boston. After being towed to a garage in West Springfield, where they tried again to fix the overheating problem and a second false start, we found ourselves back at the garage. Undaunted, we decided to rent a car for the week and to keep going, planning on picking up our vehicle on the way home. So far, so good only a day and a half behind schedule, and on the road again. However, in Ohio, Sharon came down with a digestive disorder, necessitating a very restricted diet, and was, and was not feeling well for the rest of the trip. A day later, I developed an attack of gout, my first, leaving me hobbling and greatly limiting my walking and bicycling. What a start to our new retirement. But we continued the trip. Both us and the car eventually recovered. It gave us pause as to what this retirement will bring. Would it be safer to keep on working, do what we typically do, and try not to move on to anything else? But then do we become the old man dizzy, his head resting on the table in the noisy cafe? We'll have a moment of silence. <laughs> 